praise the Lord. And just in case you don't know, Delana's my wife, actually, one that was over here on the end. So today's great example of why I need praise before the preaching. So I can't preach as good if we don't have praise going because the praise is a long-distance air bombardment. So they are sending you missiles long distance to get you to say with your mouth the things that are right, even if you ain't right. Even if you ain't right, they'll make you sing the things that are right, like, uh, if God said it, I'll believe it. Now, my job is to tell you what God said. So if you'll be praying about that, God will craft a word for you today. Um, also, I'd ask you to pray for our pastors who will, we will have our annual retreat. We try and get away for about 72 hours solid, uh, Monday noon to Wednesday noon or thereabouts, and we will be leaving for our retreat um, on Monday, and we need to project a budget for next year and plan a calendar for next year in a new space at a new place and that is that will be more difficult. So you'll be praying for us uh, as we get together and do that tonight. Awana to okay, the Awana tonight, um, five thirty. Uh, feed the soul prayer service for the adults in here, and it is pink out tonight. So just to remind you, when you bring your kids, this is my pink out preview. And uh, so I'm on board. Go ahead and stand if you would. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the ministry of this church because, God, there are so many churches out there uh, probably don't do the correct thing with praise or with preaching. And yet people attend because they are a sheep that are lost, uh, wandering, uh, not good shepherds. Lord, we understand that about this day and this age. So, Father, I pray you'd help us get the word out, especially especially as we move to a new place with bigger space. God, we got to get the word out. You're moving us for a reason. There's, there's a strategic aspect of spiritual ministry you want each of us involved in. And God, I just pray you'd start speaking to our hearts about that today. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated in the Lord's presence. And so next Sunday, Lord's Supper Sunday, even though... Um, we will not have Harvest Kids. There, there will be preschool, I think, at both services. So no Harvest Kids, the first service, so only at this service. And um, that means, you know, as I said, you can bring your kids with, in with you at the first service if they're here with you. That does not bother me at all. Um, you know, way back in the day, I remember when I was in high school attending a youth function and Somebody brought a child, and the speaker just did not handle that, I didn't think, correctly. I mean, I was so embarrassed for them, and I thought, you know, I'm not going to be that way, because kids in the service do not bother me. Usually, I put them to sleep, and I don't know why that is. Uh, But if I don't, they keep you awake, and I'm okay with that, too. So, speaking of kids... Um, one, one Saturday, a preacher made the mistake of showing a couple of young boys in his church the passage he was going to preach on from the ne- you know, for the next Sunday. And then when he stepped out of the office, they glued his Bible pages together. So when he got up to preach the next day, he read the bottom of the first page. 
said, and Noah, when he was 120 years old, took to himself a wife who was, and then he turned the page, at the top of the next page, it read, 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high. Uh, naturally puzzled at that, he turned back and he read it out loud again. And uh, then he paused for a moment. He said, you know, I've read through the Bible many times. I've never seen this. But I accept this as proof that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, that is why I preach from an iPad. So unless someone has stuck the pages of your Bible together... There are only three chapters in Zephaniah, and it is sandwiched between Habakkuk and Haggai. So, you, you know, we ought to have one of those Bible drills they had when you were a kid. First person they can find it, stand up. Uh, so basically, this is the middle of nowhere in your Bible. And yet, as you are going to see, Zephaniah gives us the clearest picture of the most important day in the history of the entire planet, because it is the day of the Lord, the second advent of Jesus Christ. But now, in order to understand that day, you need to recognize how God counts time. Genesis chapter 1, verse 5 says, And the evening and the morning were the first day. Now the same thing is said, verse 8, verse 13, verse 19, verse 23, verse 31. So in the Bible, where God defines his own terms, I mean, God doesn't, God's thoughts are not your thoughts. You need to get in on God's thoughts and think like him. Where he defines his own terms... A day actually starts in the evening and then is followed by a morning. So the day of grace, the church age, begins in the evening with the rapture of Jesus Christ, Acts chapter 1 verse 9, because when Christ ascends back to heaven, it's night now, the light is gone and it's night. John chapter 1, chapter 9, chapter 12, Matthew chapter 9. So the church age right now is the night, Paul says, Romans 13, verse 12. And the second advent of Jesus Christ is the day which is at hand, because he is the day star, 2 Peter 1, 19. Now that means that right now we are the light of the world, Philippians 2, 15. And unless we allow him, Satan cannot hide us. He cannot hide the light. Matthew 15, 14. So because the devil cannot hide the light, what he does is he blinds the eyes of the lost. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. But one day, soon and very soon, Jesus is going to return to reclaim his bride, the church, the body of Christ, and remove us from this planet in the, just in the same way he was removed, 1 Thessalonians 4.17. And at that moment, it becomes the darkest before the dawn. And yet with the removal of the light, the day of the Lord begins. So here's my thesis for Zephaniah today. The day of the Lord has a gloomy side before its glory side. It has a darkness of the fourth watch of the night 
mention Matthew 14, 25, but that is followed by the morning of bright light with the appearance of Jesus, who is the day star at his second advent. And that is a day that Zephaniah, in just three short chapters, he mentions that day by name seven times. Now, historically, Zephaniah is the minor prophet during the last revival in the country of Judah before their exile to Babylon. He has the most complete pedigree of any of the prophets. Look with me in verse 1, you'll see it. The word of the Lord, which came unto Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gadaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hizkiah. And that four-generation ancestry has no meaning at all unless you sit down with your Bible and a strong concordance and you get the DNA of this guy, Hizkiah. And I want you to notice something very important right here because this is exactly how God hides truth from the skeptics and reveals it to people who really believe the Bible because the spelling of Hizkiah's name changes between 726 B.C. and 630 B.C. when Zephaniah is writing. I want you to see it on your handout, 2 Chronicles 29, verse 1. This, this is 726 B.C. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 5 and 20 years old, and he reigned 9 and 20 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. So Hezekiah of Ze- Zephaniah 1 is Hezekiah of 1 Chronicles 29, the 13th of 20 kings who rule over that southern kingdom of Judah. But now the Hebrew text has his name spelled these two different ways. So in the Hebrew it is spelled differently. And in Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 1, the Hebrew is spelled Hezekiah exactly as you see in a King James Bible. And yet, the Christian Standard Bible does not acknowledge this. The English Standard Version does not admit this. The New American Standard Bible does not correctly translate this. The NIV refuses to tell you this, and even the New King James, which is supposed to be a revision of the King James Bible, does not get this right. Now, if you have any of those versions, don't feel bad. This ain't your fault. And certainly, I don't care. We don't care. I don't care what you read that makes it more readable to you. But I've got to stand up here and tell you where you find accuracy. I mean, I just have to do that. And and so, why do those other versions say that they're more accurate when they can't even spell? Hezekiah and his great-grandson Josiah are the last two kings of whom it says in 2 Chronicles 29, verse 2, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. So Zephaniah wears the robes of royalty. He's the great-great-grandson of godly king Hezekiah, possibly the nephew of the current king Josiah. And Josiah has a heart that matches the prophet Zephaniah. But I want to direct your attention to a detail you may not recall in 2 Chronicles 33, where it tells the tale of King Manasseh, who was the son of Hezekiah. 
In verse 1 it says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 15, five years in Jerusalem, and then he pulled out all the stops, including divination, commitment to the occult, open idolatry, even child sacrifice, and then he died. In his place was his son Ammon, Josiah's dad. Second Chronicles 33 verse 21 says, Ammon was two and 20 years old when he began to reign. But check this, he only reigned two years in Jerusalem. Why just two years? Because he was assassinated. He was murdered in his own house where the eight-year-old Josiah is being raised. And in any great natural disaster, we sometimes witness or in acts of war, like you, like you saw Hamas coming over in Israel, children may witness the death of their own parent. Now, we believe that is an irretrievably horrible experience, psychologically, that is fraught with latent symptoms of PTSD, for a child to be the, in that helpless space of watching a parent suffer and die like Josiah did. But you know what? It's not. It, it, it's not. If you let us teach your children Bible character, if you will let us take Bible virtues and build into their life, it's not all that. It, it, I'm not saying it's not traumatic, but I'm saying it can be gotten over of. So the very next chapter starts the reign of Josiah at age eight, when he's 16. He seeks the God of David and that solves it all for him. So much so that when he's 20 and he's established in the kingdom, he tears down all the idols from his past. Now, why was it that Josiah in his early years has such a heart for God? I mean, study his life and you see this unwavering commitment to the words of the Lord because God's book had been rediscovered in his day, 2 Chronicles 34, verses 14 to 21. Hello, somebody. You know, when you invite people to come to our church, even if they're already Christians, we can show them God's book being rediscovered in our day. And that will make a difference. They rediscovered that they had a Bible in their language that was actually God's words. And in 2 Chronicles 34, verse 31, says the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord. How do you do that? How do you walk in the spirit? Oh, here's how. To keep his commandments and his testimonies, his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant which were written in this book. And that is the infallible cure for a whole lot of things, especially psycho-spiritually, especially psycho-emotionally. And no doubt he had a mother who impacted his life as well. And no doubt he had guardians who raised him until he came of age, who discipled him, who mentored him, who taught him, and just like our Harvest Kids teachers, they're concerned about the souls of your children, about their walk with God, about their prayer life, and about them turning to God in every incident. Because they can do that. They can do that. 
And that is how you bring victory, even out of discouragement. But if we go back, let's finish the first sentence of verse 1. In the days of Josiah, the, king of, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. So Josiah has a prophet for a friend in his court. Maybe, maybe Zephaniah was the model whenever Josiah turned his heart to God. Maybe it was because of God's words inspired to Zephaniah so that they could be spoken through Zephaniah so that a scribe could write them down and inscripturate them for us. Maybe it was because of that that Josiah had a continuous emphasis on revival during his reign. Okay, everybody who's under 30 in here today, you under 30? Let me tell you what, your friends will make a difference in your life for good or ill. You need to be careful who your friends are because I know what you want. You say you want. I want friends who love me unconditionally. But what that means is you want friends that will love you when you lie in. You want friends that will love you when you in sin. That's what that means. No, baby Baba, that ain't love. Unconditional love is tough love. You need people who love you like that and will not let you get away with the lie. And will not let you get away with lying on God. And will not tell you the wrong things instead of what the Bible's saying. And will not reinforce what you get at this church and what you get from your pastor and what you get from your disciple. No, you need unconditional friends like that who really love you unconditionally. And they ain't going to walk out on you and they ain't going to let you go. Because they're going to make you in any way they can to do the right thing. This is our first point for study, fellowship around an open Bible and discipleship in the Word. That is what makes a difference in your walk with God and that of your children and your friends. So Josiah is not any different than you because he needs three things in order to walk with God in this sinful, horrible, hostile, evil world system. Three things to walk by. These are the same three things that your kids need. And these are what we are committed to directing them to through Harvest Kids and through Awana. Seeing how to walk by the Spirit of God in order to direct them from the inside. Seeing how to walk by the words of God to direct them on the outside. And seeing how to be with the people of God to fulfill God's mission with them. The Spirit of God always answers to the Word. That is why the Word of God will always do the work. But if you are born again, you need your spiritual family, this body, Christ Church, as a mutual resource and supply and edification and building you up and giving you balance so that you can accomplish God's purpose with your soul for eternity. So you need to be saved by the Spirit of God. You need to start getting discipled in the Word of God. And you need to go ministering as a child of God to other children of God, children or adults, as a preacher to a Josiah. So Zephaniah is the man for the hour right after the Go Conference. Right now, as we get ready to move from a small to medium-sized facility to an extra large. Now, let me say this about how we're preaching today. And I've, you know, I've told you every time, almost every time we've been in these prophets, it's going to be hard preaching because these are hard prophets. And so it just is what it is. 
You know, sometimes I have people ask and say, you know, Alan, we've started a lot of churches because our church has split a lot of times. <laughs> we've had a lot of splits and every time, you know, like at greater Mount Zion because we're the better ones. And, and, and so, you know, uh, our, 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 our church planting is based off church splits and you, got, you guys haven't had that. And well, you know, that's because I try to preach in such a way that is regular pr- pruning so that we do not have occasional splitting. So what that means is every Sunday is going to hurt a little bit, but it's a good hurt. And so if Habakkuk's, Habakkuk's three chapters give you God's vision, then Zephaniah's three chapters are going to tell you what to do before the darkness gets here. This is how to be a Philadelphian church in the lukewarm latency and last days of the church age, Revelation 3. It also tells you what's going to come despite the fact that the church of the last days is a failure. So, so in essence, this tells you why revival never lasts in American culture. How do we keep the momentum going after we move to a new place? How can we build on the GO conference during our vision and faith? And on the God thing of getting this new building and space. I mean, what he's moving us to and, and, and giving us a new facility to facilitate ministry. How do we make this revival last? Well, first off, notice if you will, this is number one. God's work's only lasting if it begins in your heart. It has got to start in the heart. Because the greatest failure, let's say of marital counseling, but really of any biblical counseling, the greatest failure is you just changing your actions. Because that only lasts for a period of time. And you never changing the inside results in you falling back and defaulting to the same attitude that caused the problem. Hello, somebody. I mean, I see a lot of people who adjust their actions to fit the circumstances because they refuse to change themselves to fit Christ-likeness. And a, and, a, and a spouse, a husband or wife will say, well, you know, I, I did this and I, and I did change and I did that, but you know, then he never changed or she never changed. Well, okay, that tells me all I need to know. You changed your actions on the outside because you were not willing to become Christ-like. On the inside, how do we make this revival last? This number two, God's work's only lasting if it's lived in your walk. So what had happened was, God, in order to know your heart, in order to know your motives, God always gives you a test. Now, God's God, he could scan your heart and know it. That's not how he chooses to do it. So, so God knows your heart and God shows you your heart by giving you a task to perform. Jeremiah 17, Deuteronomy 8, 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5, many other passages. It is a simple obedience test. It is a simple submission test to him and to what he says. And that is why repentance is a verb because our heart is tested as a sign of of our commitment to truth. So God tests us by truth, by the objective proof of our actions over time. So in the final analysis, this is number three. If you only band-aid those symptoms, 
you're never going to solve the problem. And that's why the Bible is all about, and Paul is constantly directing you, not to reform you, to conform you, to inform you, or misinform you, but to transform you in life. Ephesians 4.23, Romans 12.1 and 2. Because all the other stuff, including reformation, can be done without the Holy Spirit. But if you're going to transform your life into the image of Christ, you better have the Holy Ghost on the inside. It's our second point for study. If you do not understand what you have in the Bible in your hand, you will not have the power of the Spirit to transform you. Is someone mocking and ridiculing you? Psalm 119, verse 31. I have stuck into thy testimonies, O Lord. Put me not to shame. Are your teachers misinforming you? Verse 99. I have more understanding than all of my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. Are your peers lying on you? Verse 23. Princes also did sit and speak against me, but... Thy servant didn't formulate, didn't even formulate an answer. I didn't interrupt. I didn't come out with a reason. I didn't try and give an excuse. I didn't argue with them at all. You know what? You know what your servant did. Your servant did some positive disassociation. Your servant rejected mindfulness and being present in that moment, and instead. Your servant did meditate in thy statutes. Are people persecuting you? Verse 161. Princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. You know, Judah's problem is your problem. Zephaniah is really an outline for us. Um, this is our course over the next three months. I'm just telling you in advance, these three chapters of Zechariah, that's our course. He's setting our course for the next three months, and it's all right here. God says, chapter 1, look within. Chapter 2, then look around. Chapter 3, then look ahead. Look within, look around, and look ahead. And that is exactly what we will be doing in the next three months. Why? Why you? Why us? Why now? Why three blocks east of 7 Highway and not 12 blocks west of 7 Highway like we are right now? You know why? Because one Bible believer in a strategic spot can do more than a thousand people who do not have God's words. Hello, somebody. Just one person, even your children, in a particular place where they are walking with God can impact and redeem that spot more than a thousand modern-day evangelicals in the family of God who are out of touch with what a King James Bible says. I mean, if you will give yourself and if you will bring your family over the next 12 months of this transition in a commitment to this body and this service on Sundays to teach you God's words, then you will... You will end up achieving the will of God with your life just by being involved in the stream of life. God says, look within. You're doing that right now. Then look around to where we're going. And then when we get there, we're going to have to look ahead. We can't look behind. 
So I want to declare today, in light of Zephaniah's ministry and Josiah's life, that if you will walk with God in his word, you are in a strategic position. Because who's doing that today? I know a lot of pastors, a lot of churches, a lot of Christians say that they are, and they don't even have God's words in a Bible. So so I, I trow not. I think not. I don't think they are. I think you can. And then we'll just, we'll have to grow. <laughs> we'll have to meet an expanded budget. Uh, we have to in order to full the, fulfill the place that we are walking in. The strategic ministry God is setting us up for. So your faithful walk with God and your commitment to this church and God's words and our ministries are the key to fulfilling a Habakkuk vision. But here's our third point for study. Having an influence for God in your children, on your job, and in our community, it requires three C's because it takes consecration, creativity, and courage. For Zephaniah to stand for God's words in the court of the king, that took courage, that took energy, that took dedication, that took faith in the Bible that God had given him and the word that they had rediscovered as they cleaned out all the other junk out of the temple. Why do we got to have that? Well, we have to have that. Because people do not naturally understand God. I mean, apart from the, his Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him. And I'll admit to you that the argument for the King James Bible being God word, God's words in English, it's not unscientific, it's not even anti textual critical as far as the Greek or Hebrew is concerned. But I will admit to you that at least half the argument is theological. It's spiritual. And because of that, it destroys all the skeptical scholars who are out there. And it sorts it out for you just like the issue of creation versus evolution. Evolution ain't settled fact. I mean, it's just not. Uh, and either you, on, on a theological basis as well as a fossilized basis, you see and accept the fact of what God did when he created things, or, you know, the theological will mean nothing to you because the natural man doesn't receive it, and it's foolishness unto them. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So the average person on the street views God today just like he views me. He does not see me during the week and he does not understand me on Sunday. Hello, somebody. And views God just exactly the same way. I don't see him during the week. I don't understand him on Sunday. But wait, you are the one who provides the difference. Because you make having a knowledge of God visible to your kids and everybody else around you. So I have the faith to believe that God's going to open the doors to some of the most creative people in this country as we make this move. All I'm asking you is this. Stop being a mousehole Christian. 
What's the, what's the biggest club in Blue Springs? Now, I know you're not going to blurt it out because it wouldn't look good. But what's, I mean, what's the most popular bar in Blue Springs? I want to go in there with a media team filming and say, hello, I'm Pastor Alan Shelby of Harvest Baptist Church in Blue Springs, right at our new location. And you're probably wondering what I'm doing in here today, but really a bar and a church have a whole lot in common because they are both spaces where people come to find understanding. And the big difference is that people in the bar only find a temporary fix for their pain, for their hurt, and no mission for their life. So get out of your insulated salt shaker and penetrate the ministry that God opens to you with us. Zephaniah is a man swimming in the stream of life. And whatever else you are doing in life, if you are not doing anything for God in ministry, you're not doing anything God cares about. Why should you expect God to give you his will when you won't accept his bonds? It will take consecration. It will take creativity. It will take courage, the three C's. But that is the only way that you meet the real needs of people. So stop getting me off track. Let's get back to Zephaniah. (laughs) I want you to notice how his style is a contrast because the day of the Lord is a contrast. I mean, just like Genesis 1 verse 5, God worked the night shift. So the evening and then the morning are what made a, a complete day. So there was dark night followed by bright light. Chapter 1, verse 2, you want to see darkness? Check this. I will utterly consume all things from off the land, saith the Lord. Ouch! And the rest of everything he has to say, all the way down to the last half of chapter 3, is an illustration of that one verse. And yes, Zephaniah could see the dust of the enemy army of the Babylonians swirling around them. But do not believe all the modern translations which water this down. Because Nebuchadnezzar did not fulfill that verse. So he is also declaring a more uniquely gloomy message of doom at the hand of the Antichrist during the tribulation. Look at verse 12. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with candles. Now that is done, according to Ezekiel, that is done in order to find the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst of the land, Ezekiel 9.4, and punish the men that are settled on their lees. Okay, that's the residue of the wine that settles to the bottom of the glass. So that is the coffee grounds. It's bitter because it's the dregs of what's left that say in their heart, the Lord will not do good. I mean, God didn't really give us his words in a King James Bible. That's just not, I mean, that may be theological, correct, but that ain't rational, you know, according to the Greco-Roman mind. Neither will he do evil. So judgment will not catch up to us. In other words, what they're saying is, I judge God's words, his words will not judge me. So there's no need for me to be the modern spiritual James Brown and get up off of my lease. (laughs) There's no need to serve God in a church, Christ's body, 
There's no need for the judgment seat of Christ and getting rewards to the believer. There's no hell for the unbeliever who does not trust Jesus for everlasting life. Most Americans say in their heart the last 11 words of verse 12. We are unaware, but most importantly, unconcerned about meeting the needs of children and others whose lives God has opened to us. So we become spectators to other people's spiritual events. I mean, we watch other people get D2 certificates and stand up here because of having discipled somebody, but, but we become um, armchair observers in front of the big screen TV, and we don't dare open our hearts to open our mouths to enter the fray. But the thing that motivated these minor prophets ought to motivate you. What was it, I wonder? Look at verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near. And it starts with the rapture of the church and the judgment of believers. It is near and hasteth greatly even the voice of the day of the Lord, which is the voice of the archangel. The mighty man shall cry there bitterly. Now, I want you to notice the actual characteristics of the day of the Lord, verse 15. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and alarm. Those six things, that's the second advent, and it is nothing like the first time Jesus came. But it is exactly like what Paul describes to the Thessalonians which was the first church he ever penned an epistle to. 2 Thessalonians 1, look at verses 7 and 9 on your handout. And when you, are, you, who are tr- to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance in the great day of the Lord, on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. First Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then, verse 17, We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. There is the rapture. Right there in your Bible. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So this is not the Revelation chapter 19, second coming, where he comes. we come back with him, and he comes all the way back. No, this is the removal of a failed steward from the stewardship so that he can go back to dealing with the Jews. But if you do not accept Jesus' sacrifice as a payment for your sins now, you will receive just punishment then in that day. And back to Zephaniah 1, verse 18 says, neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. Doesn't matter how much money you have. What kind of possessions you got? Proverbs eleven four, But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. Remember, in flaming fire taking vengeance. For he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. 
I mean, talk about tomorrow's headlines today. That is the day of the Lord in Palestine. That is the tribulation on planet Earth. And that is for those who obey not the gospel right now. Now, does that mean you have no hope? Does that mean that there's no chance for reconciliation or redemption? Well, the first three verses of the next chapter extend an invitation to you. Watch verse 1. Gather yourselves together. Yay! Gather together. Congregate. Come to church. O nation not desired. Now, that's been Israel for the last 2,000 years. But I want you to hear this as a personal call to repentance for you. Verse 2, before the decree bring forth, the decree of chapter 3, verse 8 comes to pass, or in our case, the decree of 1 Thessalonians 4.17 comes to pass, before the day pass as the chaff, the day is Psalm 1.4, when the ungodly are driven away from his throne, before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you, okay, gather congregate and do what verse 3 seek ye the lord all ye meek of the earth which have wrought his judgment seek righteousness and in this dispensation that is only found in the person of the lord jesus christ and entrusting his finished work for you on the cross if you get him you've got god's righteousness first corinthians 1 30 Seek meekness, it may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. Wait, you know what the name Zephaniah means? It means hidden by the Lord. Because in every age, God provides an ark. An ark of safety from the flood of his wrath. In Abel's day, it was obedience to a command to bring a sacrifice that required the shedding of blood. In Noah's day, it was obedience to command to build a boat of gopher wood and enter it by faith in what God said was going to happen, even though you'd never seen it happen before. In Moses and David's day, it was obedience to command to bring a sacrifice for your sins to a temple where God had placed his name. And in the church age, it is obedience to the gospel, Romans 16, verse 26. The good news that Jesus is the ark. Look at Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. You are the one who is broken. God's thoughts are not your thoughts. You need to give up your thinking and start thinking his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and, and to our God, and he will abundantly pardon. Even Ahab, you want to see grace in the Old Testament? Even Ahab, the worst king that Israel ever had, found mercy from the Lord when he humbled himself before God. And that's you. And the only safe place for anyone from the wrath that will fall at the end of our age or the end of their life is the cross. So let's move to the last chapter before we leave today. Zephaniah chapter 3, look at verse 1. Woe to her that is filthy and polluted to the oppressing city. Once again, I'll encourage you to study the exclamation points in, in your King James Bible. 
You know, there used to be a show that was called Early Edition, and it was about this man who mysteriously got a copy of the Chicago Sun-Times every day, one day ahead of time. So he would get Monday's edition on Sunday, on Sunday morning. And so every day outside his door, when he woke up, was the next day's edition of the paper. Now, I wonder, what if you just got the obituaries? What would you do if you could walk by a school or a business and look inside that building and know exactly who was going to be dead by next day at this time? Exactly where there was going to be an accident. Exactly where there was going to be a mass casualty event. Exactly where the ambulance was going to stop. What would you do to make them ready to meet God? You have the same opportunity from this church in discipleship and our various ministries to make people ready in a nation that is living on borrowed time. I think so. And all you got to do is use the short span of your lifetime to do it. So if you're really a believer by being born again, you are walking in Zephaniah's sandals this morning. But, verse 2, she obeyed not the voice, she received not the correction, she trusted not in the Lord, she drew not near to her God, because they will not all listen. But I want you to take this verse that looks so negative, and I want you to turn it backwards and put the last first. I want, I want you to put the last first, and it'll give you the answer. Notice the punctuation in a King James Bible, because the semicolons tell you this is a list. Start at the back of the list first. Number one, have you drawn near to God? Number two, are you trusting in the Lord? Number three, will you receive his correction. Will you sign up for discipleship? Will you go through it and be discipled? Number four, are you going to obey his voice? Go on to disciple somebody else. Get involved in ministry. If so, then start reading in verse 9 and note all the blessings of the millennial kingdom to come after the restoration of Israel. In other words, the kingdom of heaven. First, all nations are against, again, going to speak one language, just like before Genesis 11.1. 1, and that will make for pure worship and a universal sense of consecration to God. And if I were talking about today, I would say everybody would be using a King James Bible. God's word given to us in pure language. Second, all nations will bring the same offering to the Lord for the corporate atonement of their nation to keep fellowship with the reigning Messiah, but not for individual personal salvation. Third, God will purge evil off this planet, verse 11. It'll be a time of peace, truth, and security, verse 13. Jesus will reign from his throne in Jerusalem, verses 15 and 16. And finally, and, and next, F, Jesus will rejoice over, over us in love after his return, verse 17. And he will sing over Israel and Jerusalem, Isaiah 65, verses 18 and 19. And the last three verses of this book, they focus on just one thing. The regathering of Israel back to the land. But wait, that's the same land that had been left desolate in Zephaniah 1, verses 2 and 3. You know, I'm amazed at how up-to-date the Bible is because I bet you this is exactly... Don't tell Hamas. They don't need to know. This is exactly... 
I think what Israel is probably going to do. So they're telling everybody, evacuate from the north. They're going to go in and they're going to shoot everyone who shoots at them. And they will just eliminate every person off the land. And then they will start letting people back in from the south after they can make sure they're not bringing weapons with them and so forth. And they'll progressively move their way through. I mean, I don't know that's what they're going to do, but I know that's what God's going to do. And that is the way God is going to do it. And uh, if I were them, I'd do it that way. And that's difficult, but that, 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 that's what I do. So it's amazing how this matches up. Jesus, when he came the first time, he fulfilled 48 Old Testament prophecies. But there are 500 Old Testament prophecies waiting on him to fulfill as Judean king of Israel, reigning on a little literal throne from his capital, Jerusalem. So finally, the whole world will be saved whenever the Jews are saved. And that is what Paul says in Romans 11, verses 11 and 26, the match meet to verse 19. So it hardly seems like the same man that started with the words, I'll utterly consume all things, but this is the other side of the story. This is the day dawning starting after the night before. That day will bring a reward in return for your repentance and your faith right now. Give your life to Jesus. And it's so easy for us to forget that outside these walls is a dying society and we possess the truth that they do not yet know or at least do not yet believe. Let us not live a lifetime, die, and not minister to a Josiah and not preach like a Zephaniah. You will never have another opportunity except in this generation. So do not impose your faith. Expose your faith. Hold out the hope of the gospel to the lost. Every head bowed, every eye closed. The minor prophets are pointing a bony finger in your face this morning because they are saying there is an emergency why do you not have an urgency? Get into the word. Get busy for the Lord. I mean, this book comes at the right time for our church. God is telling you this morning, you need to start making your New Year's resolutions two months early. It'll be too late by New Year's because that's when we're going to be fully involved in the move. God will give you a ministry when he sees your heart is right in his word. Build up a reservoir of relationship with him so that you can walk through all the open doors with us. Are you a Christian saved by being born again? If you're not, all you got to do is pray. I mean, it's just your heart to God, knowing that he hears. Because Jesus is alive. The crucifix is a lie. The cross is empty. And nobody can do this for you because getting saved is an exchange of life. It is a transaction you got to make with Christ on your own. But all you got to do is pray. Just pray and say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. 
But today you've shown me a vision of Jesus dying for me. He suffered for me. He bled because of my sins so that he could save me and redeem me and give me everlasting life in exchange for my faith in him. I want that life right now. I want to know that I have life after death. I want to know what's going to happen to me after I die. I want the life that is in Jesus. So right now, I take Jesus as my Lord. God save me for Jesus' sake. I want his righteousness. I'm not going to try and manufacture it on my own. Put me in Christ. Put the Holy Spirit in me and make me born again. Hear Jesus. I give you my life. And if you prayed that today, then either while we're singing or as soon as we get done, just come here to the front. Let us know. Tell one of the people who'll be here at the head of the uh, aisle. Tell us, you know, let us know that you prayed because I want to make sure we can give you a copy of my book on next steps for new believers. We want to show you how to grow. I mean, if you got saved today, you're just a baby in Christ. We want to show you how to grow. And if you attend here and you get fed here, then you ought to be a member here. Come up and talk to us about that. Just filling out a visitor's card doesn't make you a member. Even giving money, just doing that doesn't make you a member. You gotta, you gotta let us know. If you're saved, but you've not been scripturally baptized, or you're not even sure what that means, well then come up and talk to us about it. We'll let you know the next time we're doing baptisms. Next Sunday is the Lord's Supper Sunday. And I want us to gather at the Lord's table next Sunday specifically around the theme of the vision and the faith that God is stirring in you right now. Go ahead and stand if you would. Praise team, send us.